Lord Jesus, this day, may we hear afresh in our hearts your call, your call to come. Lord, speak it deep. Speak it profoundly into our spirit today. More than information, transformation for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Mm. I just, one of my greatest joys in ministry is when the Lord preaches the message before I do. I just love that. So thank you for all of you who, who brought testimony this morning, who prayed, who, who participated in the life. This is, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is kind of like biblical. When uh, the body comes together for the whole body to come and participate together in his work among us. There's something that somebody said today that touched a life that won't come through the preaching of the word specifically, but the preaching of the word happens not just in this moment, but throughout our time together. This is why we come together to be equipped, to raise up, to be matured, to grow up in our knowledge of him, to grow up into the fullness of his calling for our lives. So I am so deeply encouraged this morning. I just want to give praise and thanks unto the Lord. If you're visiting with us, my name is Pastor Jim Olson. It's my privilege and honor to serve here as the senior pastor of Bethel Christian Fellowship and provide oversight for our Bethel family of churches now. Seven congregations, just a very quick testimony. This past Sunday night, we had about 150 of us here for our Alpha uh, course, uh, our Alpha for English speakers of other languages. It was a hoot. Um, The Lord just, it was so fabulous to be together, to uh, share together. Uh, We talked about who is Jesus. We had um, uh, folks, uh, we were in four languages, not just English, but in Oromo, in Karin, in Nepali. Um, Annette had 17 children in her class back here teaching them about who is Jesus. Uh, thank you for all of you that are working, participating in that. Last night as I was sort of reflecting on the message today, the Lord um, spoke something deeply into my heart. And this was not where I intended to start today, but it's where the Lord has brought me. How many of you like taking walks? Anybody like taking walks? I love taking walks. When Annette and I do pre-marriage counseling or talk with folks or marriage counseling, one of the things that I highly recommend to husbands is take a walk with your wife. It'll be the best thing for your marriage, trust me. Wives, invite your husband on a walk. Come walk with us at the marriage retreat. We're excited, Annette and I, to share with you out of our almost 30 years of experience now in marriage. But I love taking walks. One of the things that would be interesting for you to do sometime, something that I've kind of done just sort of in an informal way, is start, do a study of walks in the Bible. There's some really powerful walks in the Bible. I mean, the first walk is right there in Genesis with Adam and Eve. It says that the Lord came, and as as was his custom, to walk with them in the cool of the day. Think about Abraham's walk when God called him out from where he was, the comfort zone, 
into a place that he didn't even know exactly where he was being led to go. Think about the walk of the people of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years. That was a long walk, people. You know the joke of why we know that Moses was a man because we know that if Moses had been a woman, he would have stopped to ask for directions. But anyway, um, but you're not lost as long as you're still moving, right? So, okay, that's my motto. All right. Um, think about some walks in the New Testament. We heard about a great walk this morning. Kathy, thank you so much. The walk of the two disciples on the road. Think about Jesus' walk in the Via Dolorosa, walking to Golgotha. Think about the walk of Paul and Barnabas when they were sent out by the Antioch church, going to a place. I mean, they, they of course, were not just walking. It was planes, trains, and automobiles, and boats, and everything else that they had going on that missionary journeys that God led them on. But one of the walks that's always impressed me probably has impressed you too is the walk that we find in Matthew chapter 14 beginning in verse 22 none of this is on the PowerPoint because this wasn't part of the message until last night and immediately Jesus made I love that he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd now he just fed the 5,000 so you know and there's so much I could talk about here, and this is not my preaching text this morning, so I'm going to be careful and try not to preach it. But I want to just grab something here that I think the Lord wants to speak to us. After he dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside, on a mountainside by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, Walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were there in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Let me just make mention of a couple of things. Again, these won't be on the PowerPoint, but just mold these over, and if you're taking notes, you might want to just jot these down. There is always a call, an invitation. There is always an invitation from the Lord And with that invitation, 
there is always a risk. There is always a risk. There's always fear. There's always fear of failure. There's always fear of the unknown. There's fear of loss. But there's also always a promise. There's a reassurance that you are not alone. We heard that this morning. Hannah gave an exhortation to us profoundly about that. You're not alone. There is a promise. There's a reassurance. And there's always a decision. Because if you're going to walk on water, you're going to have to get out of the boat. You don't walk on water while you're still sitting in the boat. So there's always a crossroads. There's always a decision that has to be made. And with that, there's always a transformation. And the transformation is either for better or for worse. Depending on the decision that you make. Let me review those one more time very quickly. There's always a call. There's always an invitation. There's always a risk. Always. There's always fear. The fear of failure. The fear of unknown. The fear of loss. There's always a promise, a reassurance that you're not alone. And there's always a decision. There's always then a changed life, one way or another. This past week in our year to engage, we began a new series entitled Kaleo. Kaleo. Which means called. And what we're walking through in this very brief series over these three weeks is the three invitations that Jesus gives to each and every single one of us. We are called, first of all, from, from 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, tells us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So there are three calls that we are given. The first is the call to come to me. It's the call to belong to him. We looked at this call last week, and if you weren't able to be here, you can get a hold of the CD in the back, uh, on the back table, or download it and an mp3 file from our um, website, I would encourage you to do so. Because we discovered what it means to experience that call. And this is not only an initial call that we receive, it's a call that we continually receive throughout our lives. We don't ever graduate from any of these calls. He's always calling us to come to him. Secondly, he calls us to come after him. This is the call to believe. The call to believe. And we're going to be unpacking that this morning in more depth, so I'll just wait and get to that in a moment. 
the final call that we're going to be looking at next week is the call to come with me, the call to become, the call into God's mission, the call to follow him wherever it is that he will lead us. And each of these calls is a call that continually gets re-asked in our lives over and over and over again. Now, we were just looking at Matthew 14. If you looked over at Matthew 16, a couple of chapters away, but I'm going to be reading the text from Luke chapter 9, you'll find that, that actually, I'll just go to Matthew 16 for a moment here. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. I tell you, you're Peter, and on the rock, this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Wow! This is amazing. So on this revelation of who God is, he builds his church. And he says, I'm going to give you keys to bind up deception and to loose and release truth. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the teachers, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. I love this. Now, Peter, who just walked in the water, who took the risk, who stepped out, who's always sort of there at the front lines of stuff, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. By the way, that's an oxymoron, those two words together. Uh, just, just a thought. Okay. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have mind in the things of God, but the things of men. Now, in a strange way, that's a comfort to me. <laughs> because on the one hand, he's being praised on this rock, not the rock of Peter, but on the rock of Peter's confession. He's going to build his church, and now it's get behind me, Satan. I mean... There's a little bit of vacillation going on in Peter's understanding, which I think happens for us. And Jesus said to his disciples, and I have the scripture up here, specifically in Luke 9, but it's the same in Matthew here. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone would come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's quickly unpack this this morning. Within this verse is embedded some truths that that we need to hear afresh this morning if we're going to continue to engage the call of the Lord for our lives and for the life of this church. If anyone. If anyone. In Luke chapter 5, go there if you'd like. I'll have part of the scripture up on the screen. Luke chapter 5. Jesus is calling his disciples, his first disciples. 
Then in verse 27, he calls another one, an unlikely one. It says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Mm. Jesus answered them, well, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, extra sermon points available for you, anybody here this morning. You can tell me who Levi is. Who, what, who, what's another name for Levi? What's his other name? Matthew. Matthew, the gospel writer, whose born and given name was Levi. Now, we can speculate a little bit here, I think, without, you know, distorting the text too much, to just simply say, if his parents named him Levi, who, more sermon points available. What, what do you think they were thinking of? Why, why would you name a child in Israel Levi? Who are you naming it after? The priests, the Levitical priests. So perhaps, you know, talk about expectations. We've been talking about disappointing expectations. So perhaps their, their vision for their child when they were born and they're holding this precious one in their hands and dedicating him to the Lord... They've named him Levi because their hope is that this one would become perhaps even a priest of God. One who, or at least in the, maybe if he can't achieve or attain to the actual priesthood itself, but he's going to be one who's going to stand before God on behalf of the people and stand before the people on behalf of God, an intercessor, a Levi, someone who will, who will um, love and be devoted to God. But instead, he becomes a tax collector sitting at a toll booth. How many like the toll booths like in Illinois? I mean, I grew up in Illinois. You know, I just love those toll booths. You know, it's so much better now. I love the open road tolling, okay? But in the old days where you sat for about 45 minutes at every toll booth waiting to throw in your 30 cents that you're trying to find somewhere under the seat. Okay, but he's a tax collector sitting at a toll booth. He is part of the hated Roman occupation. So he's not a balm to the people. He's not a priest standing before them before God. No, he's standing before the Roman government with a hand held out, with a hand in their pocket, opening up their wallet to give to the hated oppressors. And Jesus comes along and says to him, follow me. And I love what it says here. Levi got up, left a little bit of his stuff behind. What did he leave? He left everything. And then he throws a big party for all of his friends. Don't you know you're not supposed to? not the religious thing to do. But Levi's starting a missional community among his friends who haven't 
heard Jesus yet either. And Jesus goes in and eats with them, drinks with them, and shares life together with them. Don't you just love Jesus? I just love him. And the Pharisees, they're not even going to be near the house, okay? I mean, this is, but they're standing off over here, sort of in the muttering chorus. Do you see what he's doing? He shouldn't be eating. Jesus knows what they're saying. And I love his response. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Who do you think I've come for? Why do you think I'm here? When Jesus says, if anyone, he means everyone. He is no respecter of persons. He invites everyone to follow him. Including the co-worker who's driving you up the wall. Including the neighbor who is a burr under your saddle. Including the family member who might be getting under your skin. Or the one who seems the most unlikely of all, like Levi sitting in a tax collector's booth. Do you get this? Do you understand there's a a reframing, and it's for you this morning? Because you might be sitting here this morning and say, you know, that's really cool. All that stuff they've been talking about, I'm not so sure about it all, but I'm trying to listen. But, you know, it's really good that that's for somebody here. But you don't know my life. Well, guess what? You don't know mine either. Anyone means everyone. Would come after me. If anyone would come after me. Now, hear this carefully. This is really important. When Jesus makes this statement, he's giving an invitation, not a command. He's saying, if anyone would come after me. It's of our own volition if you would choose to come after me. Oh yes, it's a compelling invitation, but it is not a coercive one. There's a difference. And it's an invitation into a relationship of love and devotion. I love this passage in Jeremiah, though it's sad as well. But he's, he says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. You loved me so much you'd follow me anywhere. In Revelation 2, we get that, that very compelling picture of the church at Ephesus where, where there's again, the, you hear the heartbeat of the Lord for his people. I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height for which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove the lampstand from its place. I long for you to, to have that love, that passion, that, that devotion to me and to my people again. If you would come after me, 
He issues an invitation to us into a life of passionate pursuit of His heart, His plans, His purposes. This is not a casual thing. Did you hear the passion this morning? I mean, I heard that in the, the, the testimony of Mashan. If you didn't catch all of that, she's engaged to a man from India, a young man from India that they met at Bible College here at Northwestern, and his visa has been waiting and waiting and waiting, and it's supposed to have been coming for months and months and months, and here she is still standing, waiting, longing, waiting for him to come with a devotionate, devotion and love, a passionate pursuit knowing and believing this is the heart of God for them as a couple. God calls us to come after him with the passion of a bride for her bridegroom. Hmm. He's saying, oh, how he loves us this morning. Love like a hurricane. His love doesn't leave us the same. It ravishes our soul. If anyone would come after me and deny yourself. Here's where the rubber starts to really hit the road. To deny yourself. Turn to Luke 19. I'm not going to preach this, but I'm going to read it. Whoops, I have the wrong, I have the wrong uh, reference. Let me find it. All right, it's Matthew. Sorry about that. Matthew 19. Forgive me, that was my mistake. Matthew 19, 16 to 26. Matthew 19, 16 to 26. The story of the rich young ruler. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. And Jesus replied, Now listen, he replies on the right the right side of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't do the love of the Lord your God. That's not where he's going. He goes over here. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother and love your neighbors yourself. All these I've kept. The young man said, what do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. He didn't say, do not covet in the things. He knew what was going on in the man's heart, and when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, what did they ask? Who? <laughs> Who can then be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. 
when he invites us to deny ourselves, he's inviting us to surrender everything to him. You see, in Deuteronomy, there's this picture of becoming a bond servant or a bond slave. This is, this is I, w- I want you to get this picture in your mind when we think about this place of surrender that God invites us into. It says, if your servant says to you, I don't want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an awl, push it through his earlobe, into the door, and he will become your servant for life. Do the same for your maidservant. This is what's being called a bondservant. This is a willing choice to become a slave to a master. It's a choice of the slave to gi- or the servant to give themselves forever to be owned by that master. Paul says in Romans 6.22, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Here's the difference, people. A servant works for someone. A slave is owned by someone. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We are not, it is not even correct for us to simply say, I mean, we are his servants because we are doing his bidding. We are his friends because he has called us his friends. But at, at, at foundationally, we are also his slaves because he owns us. <laughs> he owns us. Can you imagine? God actually thinks that he owns you. And the reality and the fact is this. He does. Your very breath. All that you have and all that you are has been given to you by him. You are his. We are his. He has bought us with a price. The very cross. So the invitation is to full surrender, which means taking up your cross daily. Just down from the verse we've been studying in Luke chapter 9, verse 24. We've been looking at 9.23. 9.24 says, Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever who loses his life for me will save it. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. I Die every day. I wish I could find, I'd have to go back through all of my old leadership cartoons. Leadership Magazine is a magazine for, for Christian leaders. Best thing about the magazine is the cartoons. And um, it's great articles, but the cartoons are really good. Um, so it's got this cartoon of this woman. They're sitting around at a Bible study, and, and she's saying, and the blurb over her head is, well, I can't really say that I've ever died to myself, but, but I did feel faint once. Well, that's the truth for a lot of us. We felt faint once. But Jesus doesn't invite us to feel faint. He invites us to die and to take up our cross daily. Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. It'll slay you. Pun intended, I guess. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I've not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. 
I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it. Have it out. Now, let me be really clear about how this works because I, I, for a while I was in a tradition, you know, where a church tradition where we would come to the altar and you would lay your all on the altar. Okay? That's a powerful thing when you surrender. I mean, that, God's, God's done that many times in my life where I've had to come back to the altar and, and lay my all at the altar. But this take up your cross daily thing, if you think of your life as, you know, $1,000 or whatever, God doesn't simply, you know, he's not asking you to simply write the check for $1,000 and hand it over and now I'm done. No, he takes it and extracts it about a nickel at a time throughout your life. It's a continual surrender to him. All right, we're on the last word. We're doing well. Follow me. Follow me. Remember our verse? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Well, guess what that means? That means following him wherever. Wherever. Just a little bit further down in Luke 9, remember our passage is Luke 9, 23. If you go just a little bit further down in that same chapter, at the end in verse 57, it says this, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So you're going to follow me wherever? Well, then you're going to follow me into homelessness. Because that's where I am right now. One of my favorite scriptures in the Gospel of John is, where it talks about the seed falling into the ground, and it says, where I am, there will my servant also be. Wherever Jesus is, that's where we want to be. Wherever may be a place that you're not really comfortable going, for whatever reason. But Jesus isn't really all that concerned. Or, I mean, it's not his t- your comfort is not his top priority. Did I just say that? I'm sorry. This is America in the 21st century. Can you say that in church? Comforts is not his top priority. doesn't mean that he doesn't want to bless you and care for you and comfort you. But he really is looking for something more. He's inviting you to wherever. He's, vi- he's also inviting you to whenever. Because the next guy comes along and says, he said to another man, follow me. And the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus, that's a little uncaring. I mean, the man's father has just passed away. Can't he go bury? Well, there's a whole lot of cultural context, which I won't go into here. But the key words here that you want to take note of is, first let me. How many times have you said, first let me? I've said, first let me. Yeah, I'll do that. I have decided to follow Jesus. But first let me, can I just do this and finish this up first? First let me earn my fortune, Jesus, and then I'm going to follow you. 
First let me pursue this relationship. First let me pursue this education. First let me do this, that, or the other. Whenever means whenever. Whenever he says, follow me, and it doesn't always happen at convenient moments. Anybody figured that out? And whatever. Here's the last guy. Still another said, I'm going to follow you, Lord, but first let me, here we go, go back and say goodbye to my family. First let me go back. I want to go back. I want to turn back. Jesus says, follow me, whatever that means, whatever that takes. Whatever I call. What's competing for your allegiance this morning? What is it that's drawing? What is the whatever that might be required for you to sacrifice? How many of you have ever heard of a man named William Borden? William Borden, a couple of you. His commitment to following Christ is one that that is quite stirring, and will for, he will forever be known as a true follower of Christ. Now, there's lots of other ways that he could have been described. He could have been described as a multimillionaire. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He was born in the late 1800s. He was the heir of a family fortune, a dairy company that's worth billions today. He could be described as an Ivy League graduate. He did his undergraduate work at Yale, earned a graduate degree from Princeton. But William Borden decided to be known as a follower of Christ. He left his millions, followed the call of Jesus to an unreached Muslim people group. After he graduated from high school, his parents sent him on a tour around the world. As he traveled across Europe, Asia, and the Middle East, God began to call him to reach out to the lost people who had never heard the good news of the gospel. He wrote home to tell his parents he was giving his life to Jesus on the mission field. And on that trip, he wrote two words in his Bible, no reserves. He knew that following Jesus in this way would require a complete commitment. His father insisted that he attend the university, so he enrolled at Yale. His freshman year, he found that his passion for Christ was not shared by many, so he began meeting with a friend in the morning to read the Bible and pray together. Before long, other students joined them, and it became a revival on that campus as students met in different groups for Bible study and prayer. By the time William was a senior, 1,000 students were a part of one of these groups. One entry he recorded in his personal journey during that time simply said, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. During his time at Yale, Borden also worked with the homeless, the hurting who were living on the streets of New Haven. He founded and personally funded the Yale Hope Mission in an effort to rehabilitate alcoholics and addicts. His father died when he was still at Yale, leaving William with a significant family fortune. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. No retreats. He knew that following Jesus meant that he couldn't look back He knew that Jesus was calling him to world missions and decided to take the gospel to the Kanzu people in China. Before going to China, he went to Egypt where he could learn the Arabic language and prepare for his ministry to Muslims. When he was in Egypt, he caught spinal meningitis. William Borden died one month later at the age of 25 and was buried in Cairo. Now, there might be some who would say he didn't make a good trade. He gave up his family, his fortune, and a future career to follow Jesus as a missionary and he died before he reached the mission field. But this man, who sparked a revival at Yale, ministered to hundreds through his mission, and has inspired thousands of missionaries. With his commitment, 
knew he'd made the right decision. And after his death, there were three phrases found written inside the Bible of, his com of this completely committed follower of Jesus. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Is that the way you're living your life? Is that the way we could live our life? Come on up, worship team. His invitation is for us to live our lives with no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. This morning, will you hear his call? Come after me. We're going to sing I Will Have Decided Again. I think we'll sing it straight this time just sort of in that reflective, meditative way, prayerful way. And as we do, I don't know, if your heart stirred this morning, I, all I can ask is that the Spirit would do His work in each of us. I know He's stirring me up in this year to engage, and He's raising my level of expectation and anticipation we've heard so much this morning I don't want us to leave today with just more good information but I really want us to leave with transformation so can we stand together and I'm not going to make this long and drawn out at all if you just want to come this morning if you want to come for salvation today if you've never come to Jesus today Today is the day of salvation. You've never just invited him to, to take your life. Tom and Kathy, who you heard earlier in the service, they'll be right here, ready to pray with you. Just come and step out. If you're hearing the Lord again, to inviting you out of the boat, you don't even know what that looks like right now, but you know that you want to walk on water, you know you want to come, and you know it's a risk, but you're hearing the call to step out. Step out right now. It's, this is as easy as it gets to step out here. This is the easy place to step out. The hard place is going to be tomorrow morning and all that. But come. Come if you want to just... Yeah. If you hear the Lord drawing, come. Come. Respond today. Don't hold back. No retreats. No regrets. No reserves. No. Just abandon. Surrender. Come on. Would you extend your hands towards those who are at the altar this morning first? Well, Jesus, you hear the commitments of our heart, Lord God. We bless those that are responding, not only those that are at the altar, but each one in this room. But God, we want to pray specifically for those, Lord, that you are speaking specifically about specific things with this morning. Lord, minister deep, Lord God. May your word find root and grow up and take life and bring life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for these precious friends and that we get to walk together. Thank you. And now just open your hands, Lord, I pray now that you would fill each and every one here afresh again today with the immeasurable love of God the Father, the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, the inexhaustible strength power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. 
As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his goodness and favor over your lives. Until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I bless you, people of God, that his mercy and grace will chase you down every day of your life. In Jesus' name, go be blessed and go be a blessing. Amen.